0: good morning saints good morning sinners it is good to be back in front of you and i hope that you're enjoying what's left of the summer uh i don't know about you but it has gone very quickly for me we had a covid wedding in our family a couple of weeks ago when son number three that is james married amy Uh, amy Petkow is the daughter of todd and pastor pastor todd and carolyn of uh, riverwood and needless to say we celebrated the best we could and Sharon and I wished we could have uh, had you all join us but unfortunately we blame everything on COVID so if you didn't get an invitation it's COVID's fault so now we find ourselves looking towards the end of summer and uh, it's the beginning of fall as we are seeing it coming around the corner and some have asked us Jerry when are we getting back together you know and have our gatherings on a Sunday morning well, if you know, I've heard other churches are doing it. To which the response comes to my mind: Well, if other churches were jumping off a bridge, would you jump off a bridge? Um, you, you get what I'm saying. But seriously, our leadership actually feels that it's best for us to wait until after the September long weekend uh, before we try reassembling of any type. Now, we're watching what other churches are doing. We are documenting the feedback, having conversations. But we're also watching very carefully what's happening in our province at large. And so when we do set a date together, we do have a plan based on all the government conditions and guidelines to ensure everyone's safety the best that we can. I just need to let you all know that. So more information will uh, start coming out the closer we get to September. Just so that we, uh, we want you to know that we are planning, but we want you to know that we're not quick to jump. And so... Um, watch our social media, watch our website for updates. And I, like many of you, can't wait until we can get together, I, you know, even sing you know, in a communal, corporate way, um, maybe even hug. I think I just said that, but yes, maybe even hug. Anyway, uh, it's coming. Uh, tomorrow, uh, Monday, we are having a, uh, a leadership meeting, a steering committee meeting, and uh, this is something that we'll be talking about as well. So just stay tuned, watch social media, um, watch what's happening in our province, and then you'll see how how we'll unwrap all that in the future. Last Sunday, Pastor Andrew Davison did a fabulous job on his first full life lesson to our community at large. Um, I am so proud to see our young people who have grown up in our ranks now stepping into roles of leadership here at Seoul. And a huge shout out to Pastor Andrew and his team and how they're leading our youth. And I hope that that parents, that you are taking time to register your teen for this week of day camp coming up. Uh, There is limited space, so please register because it's going to be a blast. And uh, I actually hope to be able to go and to do a little bit of teaching out at uh, Winker Bible Camp myself with the kids. So please take that time. Register your kids. It's going to be a great time. So let's get back into our series of 1 Corinthians entitled From a Friend. And Paul's letter is filled with truth that actually can be applied to anyone anybody who's listening today, Paul is writing to you. And one of the themes that Andrew addressed last week is that the Christian life is like a race. And Paul says to run it. In in order to run it, we have to be disciplined. And we just can't run aimlessly, but God calls us to run this race that's marked out for us. And right in the middle of his theme of running the race, Paul reminds the Corinthians that there is something that's very simple that can lead anyone off course. And it's temptation. And it didn't help that the Corinthians lived in the belly of temptation, so to speak. It was the Mecca of Aphrodite, the goddess of beauty, of love, of sexuality. That was the temptation amongst many others. So when I began to think of that, I began to do some research and I I had to, you know, Google what are the top temptations people face. And uh, George Barnum put out a survey and he said that the top or he reported that the top five self-reported temptations are the following. Number one, living in a state of noticeable and debilitating temptation to anxiety and worry and the fear and dysfunction that usually comes with it. Isn't that interesting? Anxiety and worry and the fear and dysfunction that comes with it. That was number one. So appropriate, uh, especially where we find ourselves today with COVID. Number two was being stuck in habits of procrastination. I'll get back to that one later. Number three, Overwhelmed by the temptation of eating too much. I personally can identify with that one. You know, again, the whole concern of obesity, of course, is not news. And so you have anxiety and worry and this dysfunction of shutdown. You have stuck in a habit of procrastination. We have being overwhelmed and eating too much. But number four is the overuse of Electronics and social media, such as Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and video games. You know, so young people are almost twice as likely than their elders to become addicted to online activities, but this does not lead one to assume that parents and grandparents are immune from the temptation because they are there. And the fifth one is laziness, uh, or not working as hard as reasonably expected in their occupations. Those are five very interesting temptations. Maybe you didn't see your personal temptation in that top five because human temptation has so many variables and versions and combination that there's really no way to list or contain them all. Everybody faces temptations. Um, As a matter of fact, it's very personal. There are moral temptations, right? Things between right and good according to our customary rules and accepted standards. There are ethical temptations, You know, agreements uh, within the principles of right and wrong. There are physical temptations, lust of the flesh, the physical, sensual thrills. There are emotional temptations, control of the situation by using emotions. You know, we put people on guilt trips or insults or verbal abuse, right? And so no matter what temptation we face, we all face the same enemy. It's Satan. He's the liar. He's the deceiver. He's the tempter. But when you begin to break it all down, you begin to think of it. Pride, actually, is the number one temptation and is the root of all other temptations on any list you find. Pride. See, pride is so deadly because it gives us the illusion of success like a mirage in a desert. You know, well, it's actually slow. You know, we think we see something, but in reality, it's slowly eroding away our potential. And so prideful people never reach their potential for a myriad of reasons. They think they're smarter than others. They never ask for any help. Maybe you know people like that, right? They don't uh, surround themselves with highly capable people because they have to be the smartest person in the room. Or they end up plateauing because pride makes them apathetic when it comes to learning and development. They know it all. And so if we want to be effective people, if you want let's say you're in a position of leadership, you know, we have to learn to be confident but not arrogant. And we have to know the difference. We have to watch out for pride. Another one of the ways that pride sort of manifests itself is through success. And in fact, I'm more personally more fearful of success than failure. Uh, it 's hard to be proud in failure, and because uh, you know failure is a very good teacher, but on the other hand, success can be intoxicating, and we can be, become addicted to it and we can spend a lot of time in the pursuit of success that we actually neglect higher priority priority areas of our lives and again now listen there 's nothing wrong with success in itself, and I think we I think we all want to live successful lives right without question. And we should all strive to work with excellence and be as successful as possible, but we have to be careful because there's a dark side to success. It covers up sometimes weaknesses. It allows us to uh, uh, not see blind spots, right? Blind spots begin to creep in and it can make us think that we're actually better or more important than other people. But that pride and success, as those things merge together, it also leads to another temptation because success creates this pressure and a pressure that can cause people to try to make decisions uh, that lack character. So lack of character is another issue. And so what happens is that people try to find shortcuts. They try to make excuses for failure. And unfortunately, no amount of success or charisma can make up for a lack of integrity, especially in our culture. And so there are many areas where people can be tempted to have a lack of integrity. They fudge the numbers. They're lying. They're covering up past mistakes, um, or uh, there's immoral or improper relationships. Just to name a few areas, and especially if we're in a position of leadership, then we need to understand this. Here's a great fact: leadership is like a house, and when the and the character, our character, is the foundation of the house. A crack in it slowly affects the whole house. Isn't that interesting? And most of the time, this crack, it starts really small. It's a little decision, uh, decision of indiscretion, so to speak. And that small white lie, right, uh, it begins to spread over time like cancer. And it can affect our leadership. It can affect our role and our relationships with people. It has just a, a, a very devastating effect. And the lack of accountability, again, another one, destroys many a, a person. And it even destroys many a leader. Uh, accountability is like the rumble strips on the highway. They make us aware of the danger, of, of the stop sign that's, that's coming ahead. Your car shakes, right? Uh, we all have moments of weaknesses where, you know, we want to take maybe the easy route or maybe an immoral shortcut. Accountability keeps us from, from doing that. You know, we don't need yes people in our lives. What we need is people who are going to tell us like it is, sometimes how they see it. See, but unfortunately, our culture doesn't tolerate those type of people. We don't respond well to people who are speaking into our lives. And if you have accountability, I can almost guarantee that your leadership, your livelihood will be guarded and protected. We all need that. Accountability won't stop you from making mistakes. But it will hopefully cause you to think twice about making mistakes that derail one's leadership, one's life, one's marriage. We all need that accountability. And when it comes right down to it, when we start talking about temptations, selfishness is the core sin within humankind. And perhaps that explains why people of all ages are tempted to hurt family, friends, co-workers, bosses, you know, with their own selfish slacking, doing what feels good to them, however much it may harm other people. We see that all the time. And, and one easy temptation that surprisingly does not show up on the lists that I found um, is what I call disordered sex. And yet it's so prevalent in our society. You know, the unique ways in which it manifests itself in human society are nearly endless. Sexual temptations, lust of the flesh, right? But listen to me. Temptation is not sin, but it's the seed of sin. Did you hear that? So when people say, I'm tempted, you're not sinning. Temptation is not sin. It's the seed of sin. And so to help guide the Corinthians and even us, Paul begins to give an analogy here. And he brings up the story of their forefathers. And he describes the journey of Israel. And he tells them, uh, the Corinthians, what the Israelites did in facing temptation. So if you have your Bibles, open up to uh, chapter 10. Uh, of First Corinthians, and we 'll start with verse one, and it says this for i don 't want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ, nevertheless. And do not grumble as some of them did, and they were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, I like this, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Paul starts it off by saying, I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to know something. And it shows us that Paul strongly wants us to grasp the teaching and application of Israel's history to our corporate and individual lives. And I hope we don't miss the obvious general application here. Because this verse serves to emphasize that God does not want us to be living in a state of ignorance of truth right? Um, The truth of Scripture because biblical truth is fundamental. Listen to me. Biblical truth is fundamental to spiritual health and to running the good race that Pastor Andrew preached about last week. And so because of our own sinfulness and because of the many deceptions of Satan, being ignorant or forgetting God's truth really is downright dangerous. So Paul brings up a few examples based on what happened to the Israelites. And Paul warns the Corinthians that spiritual privilege doesn't guarantee success. Isn't that interesting? Spiritual privilege doesn't guarantee success. And so having great experiences with God doesn't promise that you're going to triumph over temptation. Right? The Corinthian church was struggling in its own day to remain faithful to the gospel of Jesus, which Paul preached to them. They were not only in danger of being swallowed up by the temptations of the pagan culture around them, they were also becoming fragmented and splitting into factions by internal divisions and disagreements and fighting. And so the battle that they found themselves was really on two two fronts. It was against the world and against each other. And it had the potential of corrupting or even destroying the church. And Paul saw that. It was pulling them in directions that would keep them from actually living and growing according to God's will. And according to God's word, the scriptures. And so when people are struggling in their life of faith, like the Corinthians. When they're facing temptations and when we're facing conflicts. Sometimes the most effective means for us to understand God's judgment and God's grace is to learn by example. And uh, Paul does that. He, he talks about the history of Israel. And, and he writes, he says, look at, this occurred as examples for us. Now, that word occurred doesn't mean, you know, these things happened by chance. That verb means to come to be. That, not, it wasn't by chance, but in, in other words, the things that occurred in the Old Testament were more than just simple historical events. They were allowed by the sovereign will of God. They were recorded by God through the human authors of Scripture because God, when you think about it, had us in mind. They provide us with analogies, with uh, illustrations, with Old Testament types uh, designed to warn, to instruct, to encourage us. So in general, they were designed to influence our lives positively for God and his purpose for us and so in other words Israel's history is divinely designed to speak to us and we should see it as it is God's personal word to us not just to encourage us or to bless us but that we might be all that we were designed to be instruments to the glory of God that we would learn when we look at these stories and the history So many of the lessons of the Old Testament are positive, providing comfort and hope and encouragement, etc., right? But because of our own sinful nature, some lessons are negative. And uh, they actually provide us with instructive warnings. They're designed to stop attitudes and behaviors that are very inconsistent with our life in Christ. And so Paul's first set of examples are those which remind the Corinthians of of God's good and gracious care towards the people of Israel once they left Egypt. Paul points first to the unity in which all of the Israelites experienced God's gifts, right? Together, all of them were guided by this cloud. All of them were saved by, from the pursuing Egyptians by passing through that, the, the sea. All of them were provided manna and quail and water to nourish them and to sustain them in the harsh environment. The same gifts, it was given to all of them. And so when you think about it, Israel had actually seen the glory of God. They were led by that cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. The Red Sea parts right before their very eyes. Manna and and food were provided for them in very supernatural ways. And Paul says that even Christ himself accompanied them as a spiritual rock. The Israelites experienced incredible and miraculous spiritual encounters. Think about that. And yet, it didn't prevent them from giving themselves into temptation. And experiencing God's wonder and incredibles, uh, experiencing God's wonder was incredible in the moment. But after the, the cloud and the pillar of fire, after that Red Sea moment, after the food, the manna, what we see is that they were also easily defeated. They had these mountaintop experiences, but it didn't take them long to return to their behavior. And some of the most common times Satan acts in people's lives, and and I see it all the time, is maybe right after a church gathering or service, or a a retreat of some sort, or a spiritual event, or a youth camp, or an intimate prayer time. You know, just when we're getting really close to God. And the Scripture tells us that Satan comes to hunt, to kill, to destroy, and he doesn't, doesn't look out just the weak ones. He goes after everybody. He's clever. He's, he's the great deceiver. And it's, you know, it's amazing things happen in the fellowship of believers at, at camp. Uh, and I think of youth camp, right? It's uh, what can happen for kids, how kids' lives can just get changed. Um, or even in small groups, youth retreats, you know, family camps, whatever you want to do, kids' camps, you know, various ministries within the church. But then, the moment we walk out the door, we can have an incredible spiritual encounter. But the moment that we walk out the door, just like the Israelites, you know, we don't expect any types of temptations around the corner, but they hit us. You know, Sharon and I will never forget watching an individual having a very deep spiritual moment of meeting with God at a camp service, and yet it—it's it, almost a change from night to day within the 50 yards between the doors of the chapel and the doors of the dining hall you know at one moment the person is there praising god and you know with their mouth and within those next 50 yards what came out of their mouth regarding other people was so venomous it just happens like that and yet if we're not strong in the faith there's a responsibility to help those of us maybe who are new to identify the struggles and the temptations because for some of us, we, we simply don't know what triggers us. We get tempted, right, and there's triggers, and we just don't know it. And I think what happens is that we need to be open to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and we need to bring that accountability. We need to have wise people in our lives that we can talk to so that we can fight off the temptation that the devil tries to hook us uh, with. And Paul uses these examples. And, and the fact that he uses these examples should have struck a note within the Corinthian church. As a matter of fact, the fact that Paul uses the examples from history should strike a note in your heart and in mine. Because each of us, when you think of it, actually experience similar examples of God's grace, sort of in a sense. Like all Christians are led and guided to faith through a cloud. Can I say that? And it's not a physical cloud like the Israelites followed in the desert, but a great cloud of witnesses who were written about in the book of Hebrews. Go to Hebrews. Um, and, and read Hebrews 13, 1 and 3, then go back to Hebrews chapter 12 and, and see who he's talking about. You know, this, this cloud is not a vapor that you know can't be grasped or held. This cloud of witnesses are these believers throughout the ages who have heard, who have accepted, who have passed along the Word of God, the Scriptures, with solid, reliable testimony for those of us who would follow down the line. And so we, we learn from those who went ahead of us. Paul had reminded that the Corinthians a short time earlier in the letter, despite whatever wickedness they had done in their past lives, that they had been washed, sanctified, justified in the name of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. And, and so it is for you and, and for me. We have to remember that. And it kind of leads to the second warning in, in verses 6-10. to 10. Paul warns them that there are consequences for their actions. You know what? There there is a cost. When we give into temptation, there is a cost. And Paul calls up, calls upon the Corinthians to reject the sinful examples, which caused the Israelites not only to lose many of the benefits that they enjoyed while they followed God faithfully, but actually, when we read it, some of them died. Moses spoke like an alarm going off again and again, warning the Isla- Israelites to repent and to to follow God. But after a while. The warnings just simply fell on deaf ears. The Israelites turned Moses off. They turned the radar off. They gave in to temptation. And Moses warned the Israelites, but but what happened? Paul tells us that because of their idolatry and sexual immorality, 23,000 of them died in a day. Because they tested God, they died of snake bites. Because of their grumbling, God sent the angel of death. Now I can hear some of you asking, but what does this have to do with us? See, Paul simply points out that the Corinthians were guilty of the same sins. Each of these evil desires was also being carried out in its own way by members of the church in Corinth. And they, and they are desires and actions that we still know and too often follow today, even in our own lives. You know, you might not bow to an actual graven image, Right? in a pagan temple you might not share in food that has already been sacrificed to idols but when you think about it we still create our false gods you know sometimes we put everything in our dependence our loyalty our devotion towards our job or a relationship or possessions or entertainment or finances and like the israelites and the Corinthians, we, we sometimes trust in our own knowledge and judgment rather than in God's love shown to us through Christ. We think we know it all. And like the Israelites, the, the Corinthians were divided. They were grumbling. They, they were rebellious against God and against their leaders, and complaints were being voiced about Paul and his colleagues, right, calling their legitimacy and authority into question. There were feelings of anger and dissatisfaction, like those which had been earlier targeted on Moses and Aaron in the Old Testament. It's now being directed towards Paul and the others. There were disputes being carried to the point of lawsuits in the the, uh, public courts. One church member fighting against another, and groups within the congregation began to align themselves with various leaders, with various doctrines. They were not remaining as united as one truth under Christ Jesus. And so when you find yourself falling into the trap of criticizing other people, ooh, did I say that? Particularly within the church. Remember the example of what Israel suffered for its grumbling, <laughs> as well as these admonitions given by Paul to the church at Corinth. It's not some, This is age-old stuff, and Paul is bringing it back to our attention. Hey, watch it. You know, the Corinthians usually gave into temptation to immorality to idolatry, to grumbling against God. And what's common to the Israelites is common to the Corinthians, and it's common to us today. You know, regardless of time, regardless of culture, regardless of our ethnic backgrounds, all of us face these types of temptations. And Paul tells the Corinthians that there are consequences to the actions of continuing to give in to temptation without repentance. And each of us right now can easily think about of somebody else, right? It's it's not hard for us to always point fingers at other people. It's not hard for us to think of somebody who maybe destroyed a family because of giving into temptation. Maybe it was a family member or a friend, right? who uh or a relative who had an affair or maybe they got hooked on drugs or or some sort of addiction or who slipped up or who got caught in some sort of crime it's not hard to think of the gravity of the mistake or how it affected the whole community and it's easier for us to look at other people than it is for us to look at ourselves and so what paul does is he he brings a third set of examples for the corinthians guidance and ours and that centers on how Jesus provides grace for the Christian who faces temptation. Again, we have to note that Paul first warns that we all must face temptation with humility and not with self-assurance, right? You know perhaps God allowed you to witness some painfully effects of unchecked temptation so that you would be humble, so that you would be warned. That's why one of the reasons why Paul says in verse 12, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. He's talking about pride. God doesn't play around. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 to 13 is designed to hit us. You cannot read this and realize that God is trying to speak right to our hearts. It's designed to wake us up. And often today in the church, we water down God's judgment of sin, but Paul doesn't. You know, Paul clearly communicates the gravity of this to the Corinthians, and today we need to do the same. You know, our word temptation comes from this Greek word that means persuaded or deceived. And uh, what warnings, you know, what are the warnings we've already received, right? What warnings have we been turning off when we know that we shouldn't be doing something or going somewhere or thinking some uh, thoughts that we shouldn't be? Today, we need to check our hearts. We need to look within. We need to name the temptations that we want to continue to give ourselves to. And so who or what do we consistently give into? What is your greatest temptation? You know, what are we replacing God with, right? Because we're tempted for something. There's a yearning inside of us, and we're tempted to satisfy that. And really, we're replacing God with something else. What are we attaching that to? So it's impossible to resist temptation on our own. But we do have a hope against it. See, Paul tells us three key things that exemplify God's love and His faithfulness in keeping you and I from a count, constant downward spiral of temptation and sin. Again, he, he indicates that the temptations that we face, everyone has faced throughout history. You're not alone, and you know, you're not the only one. There are really no new temptations, just new ways for the same old temptations to come to us. You know, the Ten Commandments is interesting because they anticipate, they address all the sins you could possibly imagine just in those Ten Commandments. The first commandment alone is sufficient to describe how all the others arise, right? Have those commandments written on your heart. Have them at your disposal. Have them at your command, so to speak, if you will. It helps you recognize that, uh, that, you know, when things come your way, it's just a twist on the same old theme from our adversary, which is Satan. Temptation is common. It is common to all. And again, I'll reiterate this. Temptation is not a sin, right? Being tempted is not a sin. Yielding is a whole different story. But it's common. It's common to all. And there's hope. Jesus himself was tempted. Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. So Jesus was the only one who was tempted, but he didn't give in. You know, we've all been seized by temptation. And just like the Israelites, we've been defeated. And so that's why Paul tells the Corinthians, he goes, look, at, examine Israel. Take a look at them. Look at what happens when full-on temptation is pursued. Consider them. Be wise in your mind so that you don't repeat their mistakes. And he's now telling that to us. And so, you know, speaking of examples, you, you know, you always have the opportunity when confronted by temptation to sin to, to follow the lead of Jesus. You know, and I'm not talking some cheap fix, do it yourself, what would Jesus do, you know, approach to resisting temptation. But it, it must not rest on our own subjective sense of how Jesus might view right or wrong or on our own reason decision. And that's what we do, right? We try to logic our way through stuff. No, when we look at Jesus and we see that he was confronted by temptation, and in, in the case of the Scriptures, in the person of Satan himself, Jesus uses the ultimate weapon against the tempter's deceit. Jesus used the Word of God. He used the Scriptures, and he properly applied it against the devil's lies and misquotations. He went straight to Scripture. God provides a way out for us by looking to Jesus. For when we look to Jesus, we see how God saves us. God sent his son to die on the cross. God sent his son to set us free from death at each the the death that each of us deserves because of our sin. He knows our ever-constant battle with temptation. He knows what you and I face. He knows what you struggle with. He knows what you are attached to. He knows what you will fall into. And on the cross, Jesus saves you from all of that. And there's a fine line. The life group that I was in, we were watching a video, and there was a fine line. And I loved what he said. There was a fine line between knowledge and belief. You may know it, but do you believe it? See, the fact is, Jesus takes our penalty through the cross. He knows what we wrestle with, what we face. And so he is already interceded for your sin and he's already taken your penalty. And God provides a way out for us by his sheer gift of being a substitute on the cross. God also gives us very practical ways of resisting temptation while looking at Jesus. God provides a way out through his word, the scriptures. And by looking at Jesus, we see how he faced temptation. Go back to his story. As soon as he was baptized, the skies opened up and a voice from heaven spoke. said, this is my beloved son who I'm well pleased. That was a very intense spiritual event. As soon as that event was over, Satan tempted him for 40 days and 40 nights. Satan tempts him in three ways. He told Jesus to eat. To give into to comfort. Told him to bow down to himself. And with each attempt, what did Jesus do? He recited scripture. He quoted Deuteronomy saying, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He quotes the Psalm, saying, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He quotes Deuteronomy again saying, For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And we can do the same, people. We can do the same. In order to fight temptation, we need to know the Scriptures. We need to place verses, special verses in our hearts, simple ones like 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Secondly, God's faithfulness will not allow any temptation to become greater than you could bear. You know, I know there are many people like, how can that be? You know, I'm tempted all the time and, you know, all too often I give in to it and then commit sin. And it seems like I just, I can't resist, I can't stop myself, right? I, I, I've heard that so many times. But there's, here's the blunt truth, and maybe, maybe this is an amen or an ouch, but here's the blunt truth today. There's a big difference between can't and won't. There's a big difference between, between can't and won't. You can't. You can, with God's help, right? Because we can't do this on our own. But you can, with God's help, resist any temptation if you let him. The problem is, here's the problem, that some sins are just so enjoyable in the short term. And so what do we do? We give in. We don't allow our spiritual side to... given to Christ, right? We don't allow our spiritual side to to wrestle with our old nature to the ground, to to win that battle. And so what I need to say to you is that we need that added power of knowing the Scripture. We need the power of the Holy Spirit who continually strengthens us, strengthens us as we read the Scriptures. And, and maybe, maybe, when you're finding yourself in that moment when you are being tempted, maybe you need to call upon the Holy Spirit's power by praying to our Father in Heaven that, look at I need this God. And I'll say this, He will hear you. The question is, will you hear Him back? You know, Paul gives the third example of God's grace in face of temptation in that He will always provide an escape route. An escape route. Unfortunately, like a struggle stubborn driver who doesn't ask for directions and sometimes you miss your off-ramp or you drive right past it because your nose is in the air because you're going to seek your own solution right sounds like pride again and no accountability nobody you're not listening to anybody around you but god provides a way out through prayer jesus told the disciples before his crucifixion that they should pray so that they might not enter temptation isn't that interesting you know, sometimes we come to a passage in 1 Corinthians and we think this is the first time it's talked about and we fail to see that Jesus has already been addressing all of this way back, you know, when he was already on earth. This is one of the reasons why he taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation. He was not telling us that to, to pray that we would never encounter temptation. Rather, he wanted us to pray that we wouldn't give into temptation, especially when we're faced with it, Right? He said that we should ask the Father to lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from the evil one. So God provides a way out for us through the death of His Son, through the power of His Word, through prayer. There is a way out. And though we will always encounter temptation over and over again, Jesus is always with us and He's showing us the way out. And I think we need to see the truth that Jesus provides a way out for us by the cross, by his word, by prayer. We need to let that truth begin to direct our lives. And what can happen with messages on temptation like this one is that I can turn around and make this into a moralistic theology, right? Here are 18 things to remember in the face of temptation. Maybe a Southern Baptist style, I'm not quite sure. But we will always fail when we create a sort of personal set of laws for ourselves. Did you hear me? We will always fail when we create a personal set of laws for ourselves. Nevertheless, there are clear implications that we actually need to imply. You know, we live in our media-saturated society, and for some of us, temptation blasts through our media like a wide-open broken dam, right? It's just flooding right through. Maybe you need to address your technology and and tame it and treat it with care, you know, not allow it to run our lives and lead us to junk. You know, instead, use that technology for the kingdom. You know, just put a little twist on it. You got your phone, you got your tablet, make sure you have a Bible on it. Make sure you're using that for devotion. Download your podcast. There's an abundance of them. Some of the best Bible-based preaching and teaching is available for free, like at soul.ca. Listen to worship. Listen to worship when you're commuting back and forth. Listen to worship when you're working out, right? Simple things. If you know your weakness, be aware that there's always a counter that can get you out of there. Another practical application is as simple as it gets. Run, you know, Paul says in 1 Timothy 6.11, But you run from these things and pursue godliness and and righteousness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. We need to learn to run. We have to run to Jesus, our Redeemer, our Messiah, our Savior, our Deliverer. We must run to the cross and be reminded of what He went through to set us free. (laughs) Mark Twain said this. He said, There are several good protections against temptations. But the surest is cowardice. And the Bible agrees. <laughs> you know, run away. We're all tempted people. We all are. In different ways, but by the same enemy who has the same objective. Temptation is not the sin. It's the seed of sin. Just don't let it take root. We, you have to beat it before it defeats us. And sometimes through our temptations, you know... Um, i'll say this maybe i'll get me a little bit in trouble but our, sometimes our temptations are not caused by you know satan whispering in our ear but by our own will our own determination our own pride and sometimes those are the ones that lead us to sin you know it happens when we begin to harm those around us and when we pursue what we want right our moment by moment our weekly our monthly disappointments they begin to generate an unpleasant temper a bad mood right that then sort of gets worked out on everybody else around us and so we inadvertently create and carry around with us a spiritual atmosphere that is toxic to our loved ones do you know of anybody of whom i speak maybe it's you Somebody once said, why is it that opportunity knocks only once and yet temptation bangs on the door constantly? And I think people fail to recognize that God sees all things. And people fail to see that God can give us the power to overcome temptation. It's only through God's power that we can avoid sin. I guess I said earlier, we can't do it on our own. We need help. In that same prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil, and for thine is the kingdom, the power, and glory forever. Right? Well, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 4 20, For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. He follows it up in Ephesians 3, Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God, given unto me by the effectual working of his power. And again in Ephesians 6, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. And in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God. And so this power of God spoken of throughout the New Testament, this dunamis is the word for the power of God. It's mentioned 71 times. We get our word dynamite from this word. This kind of power comes through prayer. Notice Jesus' disciples wanted to know how to pray. They didn't want to know how to preach. J.B. Phillips, he paraphrases Ephesians um, 1, 19-20. He says, How tremendous is the power available to us who believe in God. See, when we make our firm connection with God, His life and His power begin to flow through us. You know, Paul spoke of people having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. Often Christians, we as Christians, we ne- neglect our spiritual maintenance and, and Though we're supposedly clothed in power, right? We find ourselves out of gas, right? Yet scripture says we can do all things through God who strengthens us. Through God we can not only resist temptation of doing evil, but we can also, when you think about it, do good. Sometimes we get focused on the negative. Let's start focusing on the positive. And it's through prayer that we we access this wonder-working power. John Bunyan once said, prayer will make a man cease from sin or sin will entice a man to cease from prayer. Hmm. Prayer holds the power to change lives. Are you tempted? Maybe, maybe, it's time to start doing some personal inventory, spending some time in prayer, asking the Holy Spirit to renew, to refresh, to come upon you. May God deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we try hard not to stumble in our walk of faith, but you know the temptations that we face today. And we experience desires that lead us away from you, and sometimes the temptation seems too strong for us. The desires seem too powerful to resist. And so we need your help in this battle because we can't walk it alone. Lord, we need your guidance because our flesh is weak. And so help us. Fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit to give us strength uh, because we cannot make it without you. Your word promises that we will not be tempted beyond what we can bear. And so I ask for your strength to stand up against temptation each and every time I encounter it. And may others do the same. Help us to stay awake spiritually so that temptation doesn't catch us by surprise. Help us to keep our spirit well fed with your holy word so that we remember you are living in us. You are greater than every power of darkness and sin that there is in this world, and yet you live within us. God, you overcame Satan's temptations. You understand my struggles. And so I ask for strength the strength that you had when you were facing Satan's attacks in the wilderness. Don't let me be dragged away by my own desires. Let my heart obey your word. Your word tells me that you'll provide a way of escape from temptation. So give me the wisdom to walk away when I am tempted and the clarity to see, to see the way out, that way that you will provide. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you are a faithful deliverer and that I can count on your help in my time of need. Thank you, God, for being here for me. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. So Sanctuary, go now and live out our song of praise to God. Discipline yourself in all things, however small, so that you may attain the prize of salvation that is yours in Christ Jesus. And may God's powerful blessing uphold you like a mountain. May Christ Jesus touch you and make you whole. And may the Holy Spirit dance with you in the joy of life. Now go and live the church and I'll see you next week.